Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, lads. Thanks for tuning into the podcast again. Don't forget to like and subscribe and head over to the Patreon to contribute and help us out. Thanks a million and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tonaris podcast. I am James Leonard, joined by my good friend, Timmy Lamb. Hi, Lam. everyone. Rowan is on the deck. Say hi, Rowan. Hello, Rowan. Rowan got a haircut and also thanks to everybody on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> this week we have two guests. Uh, I'll introduce our newest guest first, Amory Culligan. From Limerick. Yeah. Um, and my wife, Gillian Butler, from Churchfield. Hello, everybody, again. Um, so, look, we'll come to you, Gillian, because we kind of know a little bit about you. But for yourself, Amory, do you want to tell, tell us who you are and where you're from? Yeah, so my name is uh, Amory Quilligan. I'm from Newcastle West. And I am a social care worker. So I graduated in Limerick Institute of Technology. So I'm... I work in for rehab care, so that's uh, supporting young adults um, from residential living into independent living within the community. Um, I work for Tipperary Rural Traveller Project as well, so that's supporting travellers. I'm a community support worker there. Um, I volunteer. I'm on the board of management with Bedford Row Family Project in Limerick, so yeah. that's where it's supporting families and people yeah. impacted <laughs> by imprisonment. And I'm on the Traveller Equality and Justice Programme here in Cork with um, Davy Joyce and Maria Burke as well. And um, what else do I do? Oh, just, I'm in the T- Traveller Graduate Network as well. So that's with Leanne McDonough and um, a few other travellers where we support other travellers throughout the country uh, to get through education. Yeah. yeah. Where if, do you find all the time? There's a lot I of groups know, there to be actually, with. I know, there's actually a bit more, but I'm like, oh, that, that'll do for now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> she sent me an email beforehand with your list. I'm sorry, I know, yeah. but uh, you say you work, you work for Bedford Row and you're still involved there. Um, yeah. They are very supportive of us on the podcast. They always mm. comment They're and they show us a lot of support. So hello to everybody in Bedford Row. Yeah. Um, first of all, around the, the working with the young people, it sounds like it can be a difficult job. And um, no, it's, you know, it's, it depends on the attitude you kind of mm. go in to the, the, the work with. I suppose just to say, and I, I don't want to frighten anyone now that might go into this line of work, but when I first started working for, uh, rehab care, so I was working, uh, with elderly men and women, uh, with disabilities and mild learning disabilities. So for a lot of it, um, would have been, uh, elderly people that would have been put into, uh, industrial schools or Magdalene laundries when they shouldn't have been. You know, they might have had a, a very mild learning difficulty. Um, but they became institutionalized. So then those institutions closed down. And what rehab care did, didn't they set up houses all over the country? These houses are absolutely stunning. They're amazing. And where the individuals could come out and live independently. So really what I would do 
as a staff member, just supporting them throughout their daily, their, their daily living. Um, and that could be anything like from, you know, going to the hairdressers, going shopping, you know, they yeah. would, it was always very important that they have their life outside of rehab care, their friends, they meet mm. up with their family, their activities. So, so you go to the pub like and things yeah. as well. It'd be yeah. great crack. <laughs> but I remember when I first went into it, um, I was saying, you know, it was grand. It was brilliant. And I suppose, you know, I, I'm, I'm not actually going to be modest in this, but I, I am a fantastic social care worker. And I know I am a, a yeah. good social care worker and it, that's not from my grades or validation or anything from, from college. But when I would pull into the, the, the house, I'd pull into the drive and I'd hear the lady saying, the lady with the red car is here. Today is going to be a good day. Yeah. And I, honest that's to God, let's, it really, you know, yeah. would that's move better you. than any degree that's you can get. Any degree, any yeah. honors, but I loved it. And when I went there, I was only supposed to go there for in my, in my head, I was going to go there maybe for uh, six weeks, a couple of months. And I'm there now almost three years. But I remember like my um, baptismal of fire, I was working with a group of men one night and uh, we had a, a new a, a new man had transitioned into the, the house. And like as staff members, like it was a, a very important that um, I understood his needs and his triggers, you know, and to make him feel safe and comfortable in the house. And I remember uh, I was there one night and I could hear my work colleague saying, which like I couldn't take in these words because I didn't know what was happening, but he was saying, Amri, the shit, the shit, the shit. And I was like, what? I was looking around, you know, coming up through the hall. And next thing, the the individual had got so distressed and he was a smear and he fired his feces at me. And I remember like it went into my face and my hair and everything. And I was saying, Jesus Christ, oh, <laughs> what am I after getting myself into? And like for a finish, like, this was like I was in Vietnam. Now I was coming up through the hall and I was ducking and diving and. Um, I remember like I was coming to the end of the shift and I was like, no, nah, I'm not coming back here no more. Like I couldn't do this work. But my sister is a social care worker as well. And I rang her on the way home and I was saying, Leanne, I, I can't, I can't do this kind of work. I'm not built for this. And she said, Emery, you need to get a grip. She says, go, go home and go for a shower. She said, it's not the end of the world. And it was, a, you know, and it wasn't the end of the world. And she was like, look at what doctors have to do. Look at what nurses have to do. And she said, you need to get over your ego. Now, she said, this is about the gentleman and you have to support him. She said, you didn't meet his need. And he reacted and she said, you have to meet him where he was at. Mm. She's actually my baby sister, Leanne. So yeah. like I took she an hour. a bit of tough love. Like, she and, did. Yeah. 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 And you know, it was the best, um, the, the best piece of advice that I could have ever probably got in life. But I love the work and I know we speak about boundaries and attachment and stuff like that. Like when you're working with people, like I'm in love with the people that I work with. Like mm. they're like my family. Mm. I spend so much time with them, even through the, the whole of lockdown and everything where it was so difficult for everyone. Like they really took it on the chin. Mm. You know, I'm, and we, we'd learn an awful lot, yeah. an awful lot from you know, them. The one thing, the one thing about social care, I'm a social care worker too, you know, I work the residential and in those jobs that are not so glamorous, but that yeah. you do it because you're the love of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's not rewarded like it should be. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. very undervalued and underpaid work for the amount of hours you do, the stress and strain mm-hmm. that you're put on a shift. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree? A hundred percent. And I think kind of, um, I was saying to Gillian earlier on, one of the main reasons as well that I stayed there, 
like I have a manager, Ashley Hagen. I don't even have to say this now because I'm leaving in a couple of weeks and I'd be, I'd be pure lonesome leaving them. But um, she's one of the best managers around, you know, like the, 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 res, the, the service users, their voice is paramount and their, their needs come first. So she is very um, strict as well in relation to supervision. Mm. so we get supervision once a month it's not an option you have to do your it's supervision like yeah and um, if there's anything going on so it's she has a really strong team and you know if you have one t- like in any team if you've somebody if you've one team member that's going to go against the grain it disrupts everything you know but she manages that equilibrium like you know, yeah. she's really good so I've learned like no matter what situation you go into you're always you're always learning but it is it is an undervalued job by society. And even when I look at it, um, like how I got into this work was I, I worked in accounts for years. I never did this kind of work. I went back to college as a mature student. But my grandfather um, got diagnosed with uh, dementia and my grandmother on my other side of the family got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And at the same time as well, my gran- my aunt that looked after my grandfather, or lived with my grandfather, she had cancer and it had gone to her brain. And I remember with my grandfather, his biggest fear, he was going to go into a nursing home. Mm-hmm. You know, that was his biggest fear. So I did a FETAC level five care of the elderly course uh, in the evenings after work. I had a brilliant, fantastic manager as well in the accounts. So I used to do the FETAC level five course. And I was speaking to all these amazing women that were caring for family members like at home. And I never realized the pressure and the stress that comes with it. So like as a social care worker, yes, it is undervalued and maybe we're not supported or recognized for the kind of work that we do. But whatever about us, like I have a team of psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, Mm. managers around me for carers at home as an individual family carer, what they, how we treat carers in Ireland, you know, it's an indictment, like, you know, it's, it's just so wrong. The They're underpaid. The amount of money they, they save the state. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And they have no one, like, um, I supported somebody that was very close to me as well, uh, for, for, for a couple of years that was, um, experienced mental health, uh, illness and would have psychosis. And I remember even being in those situations where, like, going to bed at night, I, I, like, I'd be working off of two or three hours sleep a day. I was absolutely exhausted. You know, people don't understand the stress and the pressure that you're on when you're supporting somebody at home on your own and the rest of the family or even friends within the community don't chip in to help, you know, that kind mm. of a way. I don't know how people do it long term, like, you know, um, they get no holidays. It's a 24 hour job. It's seven days a week. You know, and dirt is your tanks for it. You get no tax credits. You know, there's a young man back in Kerry. He's on uh, Twitter. Michael is his name or Michal. And um, he was a teacher. He's now caring for his sister and his mother at home. He had to walk away from his paid employment into earning maybe 200 euro a week. No relief, no support throughout lockdown. Mm. Like that's a hero. Yeah. You know, I uh, and those people don't get the recognition or the no. support that they deserve. No, so look well done because you yeah. spoke really passionately about that, and it's great to give them acknowledgement. I think one thing COVID did, especially at this at the start of the pandemic, was highlight the importance of social care workers and key workers because, mm. it, like, when all of them services was closed, it just showed like how how many people actually rely 
and services like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I just want to bring us back. It's morbid, no, because I don't think people really have got a view of who you are. Firstly, right, and you're a traveller. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so just to explain, because I, I was listening to about your sister as well. Your sister seems like a really strong individual She's as well. Amazing, yeah. We probably get the two of you on at some stage yeah. down the line. <laughs> Be good. But I just want to go back. And just bring it back how it was maybe for you growing up being a traveller, young yeah. person, uh, how it was academically, because there are struggles for travellers mm-hmm. academically growing up, yeah. how it was for you. And, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, and we can see how really articulate you are as a yeah. person because you're very, very, very good. And I can see your sense of uh, just goodness through your work and I can see how much you really really care for the people you work so if you just want to go back a small bit and just talk a little bit about your own kind of upbringing and education and how it was because it'll be very important for whatever whatever young traveller women will be listening to this they'll they'll get some inspiration from whatever you have to say thanks Uh, thanks to me I'm yeah, so I'm a traveller. I grew up um, in a small village just outside Newcastle West, let's say, called Castlemahon. Um, so where we grew up, there was about like uh, 20 houses. And beautiful. It was just a little village. Uh, and this is why I get really irate when people say social housing doesn't work, like, you know, or, you know. Um, there was about 20 houses there. It was just a real working class area. Um, where we played was the fields. It was uh, built on fairy forts, you know, like, so when we went playing, we went playing up in the fields. We'd make cubby houses in the ditches, you know, the neighbor threw out a fridge. We'd bring the fridge up. We'd find, bury it into the ditch, hang a few curtains. You know, that was our title, mm-hmm. like, you know, so it was very, um, I, I had a, a very beautiful upbringing, you know, and I suppose my mother and father, um, my mother and father, my mother was 17 when she had my brother George, so I'm the second eldest. So I always tell people that I am uh, very privileged and I grew up with an awful lot of privilege in life. Mightn't have been privileged through finances, but I had a very stable upbringing. You know, my mother and father, they didn't drink, they didn't smoke. Like, and throughout all my family, the children always uh, came first. My grandfather was that way as well. Um, so we were the only travelers. Mm. So we never knew any different, you know, and for us, uh, let's say my father would do, uh, work the markets. My father always worked two or three jobs. He worked the markets. He's a musician. My mother worked, um, in the, the, the hospital. Um, you know, we never went without, you know, but nobody really kind of had, everyone had the same, you know, it was nobody was rich, nobody was poor, you know, that kind of way yeah. out in the road, like we were always the same. And I suppose I never really noticed any difference in being traveller until I went to secondary school. So when I went into um, uh, secondary school, uh, I say I got bullied. I mean, people would say the, the word knacker and tinker and stuff like that, you know, whatever. My first time hearing it was was four class, all right, but nobody knew what the word was. I didn't know what the word was, and I was just like, sure, he's a mug anyway. Do you know that kind of way? Was there many travellers in, in the secondary school? In the first secondary school that I went to, no, there wasn't. Um, but then what, what actually ended up happening in the first secondary school was I ended up getting bullied. I, 
by a bully. He was just a bully. He's actually a lovely boy. I, t- I chat away to him now, like he's the grand old young fella. But you know, it was just you know, he was just a bully. Like yeah. he probably had stuff going on in his yeah. own life. Like kids, you know, kids are kids. Like kids can be very cruel, though. That's kids it. can be cruel. Yeah. Kids can be very cruel. Yeah, yeah. and they don't yeah. understand. I suppose a child doesn't really understand what they're saying. That hundred percent. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. when they, when they get older and when you become an adult. It's a different ball game then. Yeah. Because you, know, you are yeah. responsible for what's coming out of your mouth. That's it, 100%. Yeah. And then, I suppose, this young fellow, anyway, he used to give me an awful time. And um, I he probably fancied you as well. Could have been, girl. Yeah, could have been. You know I what? tell you now, you could Definitely. have fancied you. Yeah. And that's how boys behave. Yeah. They start hitting you and poking you and kicking you. And they actually do like you. God help you every time you had a crush on you. You'd be going around black and blue. Oh, I knew that was coming up, yeah. I walked into that one girl, didn't I? Poor oh. Jesus. Unless I might get a husband out of this place. I'm to this. It's a sign of affection. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> oh. anyway, he's a grand young flat today. But, but he's, he's a lovely man, yeah. But I remember, I suppose I was sensitive, didn't let's say, or whatever. And I, I was the only, the only one kind of... And I internalised an awful lot of that. Mm. So then one day I was on the bus and uh, lads, he spat in my face and oh. I just went home and I said to my mum and father, I'm not going back to school no more. I was about 15. I just didn't fit. Mm. And it wasn't, I'm not going to blame the other students or the school or whatever. I just didn't, it was a more middle class school mm. and I just didn't feel like I belonged there. So then um, my parents uh, put me into, I got into a desh school. So while the desh school then when I went in there, there was every kind of individual in there. We were all equal. I, I fit there, you know, and that's where I started to flourish in as a young woman, you know, as a teenager. I started kind of coming into my own and I made amazing friends, but kind of in the desh school din, we never, as we never had talks around, you know, like my neighbor, Helen Graney, she used to babysit us and she worked in the factory. So where I lived, there was a chicken factory as well, like where, where I lived. So like we all went working there like at 13, 14. Do you know, you just lie in your, mm-hmm. you, you lie in your birth certificate. Yeah, you get yeah. like the Easter holidays, the summer yeah. holidays, like whatever. Slaves, my job was like tying chickens, go help us. I was about that height. It was probably slave labor, child yeah, labor, yeah, but you yeah. know, I belong in flipping chickens. But that's the way the, the neighborhood was. All the older neighbors looked after. So we had like social capital and human capital as well, you know. Um, so I used to work in the factory, and Helen Graney, she's passed away since now, um, but she used to babysit us, and I thought there was nothing like Helen Graney. She was stunning. She was absolutely gorgeous. And she worked in the office. So in my head then, I was that I wanted to be like mm. Helen Graney. So that was our kind of line of thinking. Yeah. You know, we weren't thinking about... Um, going on to do, become doctors. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. we just didn't really have those conversations. And then, God help us, my, my father didn't. Um, there was never any pressure on us to... to um, well, now, I had no boyfriends anyway, but I'm not going to say that was true choice. Like, I I flourished late in life. <laughs> I tell you, I was an ugly duckling. <laughs> I tell you, shoot, like, it wasn't from the one to try, I suppose. But, um, so I never had a boyfriend, like, or anything like that, you know. So, but we were always told you had to get to leave and start. And my father's thing was, like, kind of, like, you, you to move, you the, the, the social welfare wasn't an option because his thing was if you're on social welfare the state own you and you'll never own anything you'll never be independent mm. you know you'll always be under compliment to someone 
So we always, so there was that kind of work ethic there and just to get the leave insert. But when I was in school, my parents were paying for me to get uh, grinds and I had dyscalculia. It never got diagnosed. What's that? So basically, it's like dyslexia. I'm, I've mild dyslexia, um, but dyscalculia is with, with, whereas dyslexia is with, with, num- with words, yeah. dyscalculia is with mm. numbers. Oh, okay. yeah. So I can't, you know, even though I, I worked in accounts, but I didn't get diagnosed until so, so late. But why I was able to work in accounts was like, obviously, I'd be able to do percentages and use calculators and a spreadsheet and things like that. But I had the gift of the gab to bring mm. the money in. Yeah. So I actually wor- ended up working mm. in accounts with a fella, uh, Kieran. Uh, he's the salt of the earth as well. But he wouldn't be as sociable as myself, but he was a genius when it came to figures. So Kieran would do the figures and I'd, I'd manage the customers then to get the money in. Yeah. yeah so, do you know, you survive, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I've heard of, um, Gillian's uh, father is traveling man. You know, yeah. he's he can't read. Yeah. But you very like how how do you navigate life? You just creative ways around it. You know what I mean? Just yeah. Lateral thinking outside the box and yeah. you manage that. And you know what? I suppose as you just said that there, I just got a flashback to we were going to Dublin there many years ago. We were going up in the lorry and he was telling me to look out for signs, but because I could read and write, I I wasn't taking any yeah. notes of yeah. of the signs. I just you know just one thinking of it. And the whole way up the road to Dublin, he killed me. The whole way up the road because I was getting distracted with this. I was at the music. I was at, I was at things. And you just forget that when people can't read or write. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's devastating really for them. Uh, like, and their independence and yeah. their confidence. And yeah. 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 It's just a, such a basic thing to have. And we, it's very yeah. hard to imagine us not having yeah. the basic yeah. ability and to like, read. And like, what in school, like, I mean, I left school at a very young age. We, yeah. You know, like we have different stories. Um, I left school at a very young age, but I was so happy that I came away with that piece that I was yeah. able to read and write, you know, mm-hmm. because again, and it's not just my, my father. There's, I have, I have a couple of siblings now as well yeah. that can't, that the reading and writing yeah. isn't great. Yeah. Um, and has prevented one of them from actually progressing in a career. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> my it's father, sad. Yeah. My father, um, as well, like he would have finished school in <clears throat> primary school. And he's a musician, and so he has uh, a band. Do you know, like there's uh, there there's six of them in the band. But I remember when we were younger, and the boys used to be calling. Do you know, and they'd be practicing the music, let's say, or whatever. And my father would say, "I'd I'm rewrite out them songs there. I'd be writing out songs for the boys." Mm. Do you know, um, because I suppose my father probably didn't want to give it to say. You know, I never, I never knew my father had struggled with reading and writing yeah. until later in life. But what actually happened was, um, he ended up like that. He was a great man. He did the the, the markets. Uh, he used to do a uh, mobile video. So do you remember, like we'd have videos instead of DVDs yeah. say, or whatever. So my father had a mobile video uh, van. So he basically kitted out, shelled out the back of the van. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was all videos. Then, we used to have say. a video man as well. Remember the video man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, He'd yeah. drive around with the videos in the boot of his car. That's it. Rent them out yeah, for yeah. Days. Jesus, and they were happy old days back then. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know? Yeah, so and my father then would bring one of us with him. Do you see? Do you yeah. know? Like, and but there were brilliant life skills mm. that we got as well. So they say my family, my father did the markets as well. My family still do the markets, like street trading. And like, it's important, you know, we speak about education. 
like education, third level education isn't to be all and in no, all. It's not no. for everybody. No, it's not. But no. we got such amazing life skills, transferable life skills from an early an early age. Like we go to the markets, we'd only be playing really in mm. and out of all the stalls, you mm. know, kind of. But we were meeting people of uh, different religions, different ethnicities, mm. you know. So every, you know, it was still, a, it was very rich upbringing and it was very happy. You know, all our it sounds like it was very happy upbringing. Yeah, yeah. 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 it does. Sounds and like you know, it. even with the music, like all my family are um, musicians and singers, so we we can all sing. And even that's something. Can even you sing you as might well? give us a song. I here. do. Yes. I sing. Oh, yeah, we get a song yeah. at the end. Well, no, I won't sing here now, Les, because I am my mother's daughter. Now I will say that. Now my mother doesn't sing either, but I I can sing. But I'd be the worst of all the singers. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. But, um, do you know, for us, like, growing up, everything uh, was done around music, all the family gatherings, do you know, yeah. christenings, mm-hmm. confirmations, communions. And even now, like, with my nieces and nephews, like, my nieces, uh, they're in primary school, and they think my grandfather, my father, they think granddad is famous, and they don't understand how the other children don't know granddad's songs. Mm-hmm. Do you know, oh, yeah. they think, like, and yeah. he does, like, the live streams and everything. Yeah. And like Zara and uh, Eve and Faye, they're like four, five and six. And they'd be saying, sure, do you know this song? And they'd be singing my father's songs. <laughs> and they think their friends haven't a clue. <laughs> uh, uh, do you know, yeah. So it was, yeah. it was a lovely, <clears throat> it was a lovely uh, upbringing. But I did, I, I ended up anyway, I, I going on to third level. I was working in accounts. I went off traveling to Australia. As I had to, I moved down to Cork there one summer. Just talking now about being a traveller. I moved down to Cork one summer uh, to work down at the Kingsley Hotel. To Kingsley. Yeah, and I was staying in the Crow's Nest. I cried a river every night, lads. You'd swear to God now, I was after moving a hundred uh, uh, yeah. countries away from yeah. my mother and father. I nearly died of lonesome below yeah. in Cork. And there was nothing keeping me there, you know. I, were, I was learning how to do fine dining. But there was nothing keeping me there, but it was in my head. Mm. I would say, I'm not going to give it to say, I can do this, you know, that kind yeah, of way. Yeah. And then I, I went over to Australia as well. I don't know how I came out of it alive because the biggest mug, I was so green. I hadn't a clue what was going on. You know, I just took everyone like at face value and I got myself into some hairy situations now where everything was just going over my head because mm. we were wrapped up in cotton wool, mm. you know, which was grand in one way, but in another way, didn't. Yeah. like you didn't, I didn't really know what was going on in the world. Mm. Do you know, I was so closed off like, and it wasn't until I went to, um, Bedford Row, I started seeing all these like beautiful uh, human beings, people coming in and realising then how much privilege I had and, you know, sitting down chatting and thinking I could never, I could never survive. But even when I started working in homeless services, like everybody knows my story now, everybody knows me knows my story now as well. But I mm. fucking I had it easy in compared to some of the people that I've come across, you know. And I think like how in the name of God are they alive even? Yeah. The resilience that some people have. Yeah. yeah, they might be homeless and using a lot of drugs, but the fact that they're not dead is unbelievable considering yeah. the experiences mm. they've had. And you would see it and you would have seen it too, Julian mm. Cock yeah. Lines, you know. Mm. Yeah. You know, the people that are make up the prisons and people in prison watch this. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they get a lot of judgment and a lot of flack, but they're the most resilient people you'll ever meet in your life. Yeah. Mm. You made a very good point there as well about being wrapped in cotton wool, you know, and that happens an awful lot. Mm. And I suppose if you do wrap your kids in too much of cotton wool these days, 
and when they do walk into the world and they see it, it can it, they can be took advantage of let's just yeah. say and they could be very vulnerable as well because they don't understand you know the way things work whereas we grew up in the midst of all the madness yeah we were street boys you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that has its flaws in its downside as well. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, comes exactly. With, yeah. yeah. The street ways, like, yeah. comes all the, yeah. comes the chaotic lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. You lose yeah. your innocence very young, yeah. like, yeah. you yeah. children in working class areas and traveller backgrounds, like, mm. this, for some, not all, but for some, they, they, they grow up very quickly, mm. you know, because yeah. they're exposed to much more. And I think for, uh, I was working with this guy and um, middle class person, old middle, lovely middle class school for the kids, and he was very pissed off one day because um, this working class child in the class was after telling his child that there was no such thing as Santa and the tooth fairy and all these things. But sure, the working class child was streets ahead yeah. in terms of like the savviness. Yeah. The other working, the, the middle class child was very green, as you put it, you know, yeah. innocent, yeah. the way a child should be. But listen, I would say it's like it's not into the child is only the child. The child yeah. is innocent. You're conditioned. Yeah. You're just you're just conditioned to whatever environment you're exactly. you're in at yeah. the time. And but children will adapt. And I find um, I was saying to to Gillian earlier on, like I was working uh, with one traveller woman. So I I actually came into this kind of worked in through uh, two ladies, Bridgie Casey and Mags Casey. Uh, they're from Limerick, phenomenal women. <clears throat> and I remember. Um, Bridgie Casey, uh, she had an article one day, uh, 12 members of her family they've buried through suicide. They're a traveller family. 12 members. I've had a few as well from my family yeah. from suicide. Yeah. My uncles, yeah. Absolute trauma, like, it's you know. It's devastating. Yeah, and um, she was saying, to, they were saying to me one day, Emery, the children, like, I didn't get it, you know, and they were saying, Emery, when the, the, the damage starts when the children go into school. That that's where the trauma mm. begins for the children. And it really, it is yeah. like, you know. Um, and I remember she was saying one day, we had one school alone where 20 of the traveller children were diagnosed with ADHD. And in my head, I was straight away, oh, sure, yeah, they're anti-traveller anyway. That school's clearly anti-traveller. Mm. But I didn't understand anything about trauma or being trauma-informed yeah. or anything like that. So kind of, like, you see a lot with um, <clears throat> professionals and I think the system in itself, they're always like the adverse childhood experiences, you know, the ACEs, they're looking in on the family, mm. they're monitoring, they're surveilling the family, the mm. child, the problem is inside the house, you mm. know, they're not looking at what's happening within society. the wider community yeah. and society or even what's happening in the school mm. to, yeah. to these children. And like for an awful lot of the traveller children are born into homelessness mm. like our definition of homelessness in Ireland is completely inadequate you know it doesn't cover like uh, what actual homeless is like if you're living in a, in a, in a house that's not culturally appropriate if, you, if you're living domestic violence if you're living in a house without access to running water sanitation mm. you know or, or toilets or electricity or anything like that and if a child like that stress uh, starts developing in the womb in a child you know if the mother is stressed mm. that those stress hormones are passed on to the child through the womb and that impacts the development of the child's brain 
and then the child is born into to inadequate living uh, living conditions through no fault of the parents. It's not that the parents don't love the children or can't care for the children. The parents have no control over their living environment. And the funding that's been provided has not been used to provide, to provide travel or accommodation? Yeah, so it's down to social policy. Yeah, you know, this is a choice, like this is neoliberal, this is the type of world that we live in and it does come down to capitalism and stuff like that as well. And then these children are born and they're going into uh, school. Like their, their behaviours, um, because the, the child is diagnosed with ADHD because the child's brain is trying to protect itself. It's trying to regulate itself. So when the child gets stressed, the child will shut down. You know, it's like fight, flight or freeze. Mm. And that's, we're punishing little babies. We're punishing children yeah. in a school. A child that's experiencing trauma, that's trying to uh, re- uh, protect themselves. Like I saw there uh, t- maybe two, three weeks ago for a teacher to send a report home for a five-year-old child that lost her father, traveler child that lost her father in big red writing, two out of three or two out of ten, one out of ten, behavioral, you know, wouldn't sit still. This teacher did not want to recognize or acknowledge that this child was after burying her father. Mm. But I know we were talking about earlier, I'm really yeah. trauma informed. It's it's not rolled out enough. It's not no. inside in the schools. Yeah. It's not in the education centers. Yeah. yeah. Can I give you an example of that? What you in an adult, right? Uh, of the the actual freeze situation, right? And um, when I did get into education, right, I had this mechanism built up. To deal with any form of stress or violence or anything, anything that I couldn't deal with, I had to freeze, right? So when I went into education, right, maths was something I really, really struggled with. And when I get anxious, I'd freeze. Mm-hmm. I, I just blocked off from everything. My brain didn't work. My, I got stressed, yeah. But I could not think beyond anything. Nothing made sense to me on the sheet. And I would go into my own sense of uh, unworthiness. Uh, I I was stupid. You know, I wasn't able, you know, all these different things. And it wasn't until I got trauma-informed that I started to realise what this was, right? And meditation, which was another thing, and I started sitting with, these feelings of that really strong feeling of uh, anxiety, you know, it's just stress. Oh, I can't do this. It's about trying to regulate yourself as yeah. well. Yeah. When you get into that kind of, a, like, I know for me personally, I can completely identify with yeah. that because as a child, and I speak for myself, I'm, I was almost conditioned that I wasn't good enough. I was stupid. I was this. I was that. You're no good. You're going to go nowhere in life. And I internalized all of that on top of everything else that was going on around me. And when you, I suppose, when you get into your adult life and you don't have those skills of self-regulation, and I can still, James, <laughs> witness to that, I can still have my little episodes where it's like, no matter what you say to me, there's a block. I yeah. can't hear it. I can't let it in until I come out the other side of it again. Mm-hmm. And that could be five minutes. It could be 10 minutes. It could be three days of wrecking his head about one particular thing. Um, but when you talk, like you talk about being a trauma-informed, when, when you become aware of... How you are in that situation, we're listening to the power of now, that book and I am audible. Um, all of those kind of things helps. Yeah. It certainly helps me yeah. to sit down, calm myself 
and realize that it's my thinking that's gone bonkers here yeah. and that if I bring it back to the present moment I'm actually okay and yeah. everything is okay and when you're but it's loved, hard when you're in that to bring yourself out of it it's very hard but you know when you were speaking about that child there I'd, um, I'd be thinking about myself you know in school as well you know um, I remember and I spoke about this before I remember uh, in secondary school I found it very difficult a very, lot going on at home my personal life the teachers didn't really care didn't want to yeah. know and they just it was all negativity you know like but I remember I was always good at English always had a good vocabulary always well able to write and I remember one exam I did um, I got like 18% in maths and I got 82% in English and both comments was very disruptive in class Yeah. so it yeah. didn't matter what grade you got yeah. it was always the same negative comment yeah. no, nothing taken into account of what was going on for James just it was all negative so then mm-hmm. you would be like I'm the fuck about school I hated school after that yeah. you know? and yeah. then you end up leaving school thinking that you're stupid that you're not able you internalise it yeah. absolutely yeah. it yeah. kills your yeah. self esteem do you know if yeah. a teacher pulled you up in that James at the beginning right and just pulled you aside and said James how are you getting on are you okay is there something going on for your home you know and you probably turned around then and said yeah do you know what this is going on blah 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 whatever your whole environment within that classroom would have changed. Well, I think that's why I did okay in primary school. Because yeah. you know, in primary school, you have the one teacher yeah, for one the whole teacher, year. Yeah. You build a relationship with that teacher. I've yeah. had good experiences in yeah. secondary school. You have a teacher for 40 minutes. You have another teacher for 40 minutes. You have no connection mm-hmm. with the teacher. And the other issues of that then is the numbers in the class. Yeah. Do you know, like when there's large numbers, I work in an education center at the moment and we've small numbers in the class, small enough numbers. And so you can build the relationships. You can have the bit of bant. You can have yeah. the bit of crack. You can also see when the child is upset or the, the student is upset yeah. um, and if there's maybe something going on for them but you can build a relationship but if you're sitting down with a big classroom of 30 or 40 children yeah. that can be very difficult as but well it, on the teacher yeah. even, you know what I mean? even in secondary school um, I'd only a class of about six of us but okay. we were completely labelled and judged yeah. Yeah. like the messers the people that couldn't learn the people that didn't want to mm. learn so the teachers were coming in it was like free class for them there was nothing expected of us, and yeah. they took, yeah. you know, to read a book or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, but I remember even in primary school, um, we'd have had a lot of travellers because mm. where we're from, there's loads of travellers, loads yeah. travellers in houses, loads of travellers in the hot side. Yeah. So we'd have always had travellers in class. But I remember in primary school, um, let's say if I was in the first class, a traveller, if traveller guy could come into uh, senior infants the year below, but he'd do his confirmation before me then. Mm. I always wonder, like, how do traveller young fellas come in after me and finish before me? But it's like they're escalated through quicker. Yeah. 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 There's an expected outcome. It's like, like they're trying to get them through as quick as they can. Yeah, because they know that the expected outcome is that they're going to leave. Yeah. They're going to leave early. They're going to be gone. Yeah. So it's like, let's get them through as quick as we can. Get them over the line for those type, type yeah. of things anyway. That would be my understanding of it. That's hap- that's still happening today. That is, and yeah. like we have um, one school where every a secondary school where all the traveller children were brought down to the sports hall, and uh, informed by the principal that when they turn sixteen they can leave school. Mm. That's today. I that's what I'm saying. Like they, there's an expected outcome yeah, for yeah, travellers. The expectations like. are so yeah, low. Yeah. I'm, like so, I work with uh, traveller students um, all across Munster. So it would be like Tipperary, Limerick, Kerry, Cork, or wherever, um, where we have traveller students in junior cert, uh, traveller students in leaving cert, getting pictures of horses to colour in. 
That's happening today, like, mm. you know, I, there's a disproportionate number of traveller students I put on a reduced, uh, informal use of the reduced timetable where they're finishing school at 11 o'clock or, or, uh, or 12 o'clock during the day. These would be children, you see, um, let's say they, they, the, the teachers, or the principal would say, oh, they're behavioural, they're bold or whatever. The same children I go into, they're, they're amazing for me, but I treat them with a bit of respect and a, a bit of dignity. And I believe in them, you know, like, and, um, and children will respond to that if yeah. they feel safe. Yeah. Children will, it's like that one good adult and that positive reinforcement, but the expectation is so low. Now, like sometimes you go into some schools and I'm telling you, you meet teachers and you know these teachers are changing lives. Mm. You meet principals that will go above and beyond. And you'll always know like it's the principal that will reach out to you as opposed to you trying to get in the door to build up a relationship. Like I never understand why a principal doesn't want to build up a relationship with me. Because I'm not going in out of malice. I'm going in in good faith you're to going support. To, you're going to, yeah, trying to help the situation. Yeah, 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 and not to judge either. Because I completely understand there are um, challenges from within our community. Absolutely. So it's internal and it's external. But why are we always looking in? Mm. Mm. Why are we looking at what's happening within society? And I really have a big problem with our children being put on medication for ADHD. When really, if we just maybe adjusted the situation, the environment, the learning environment a little bit to meet the need of the child, mm. the child mightn't have to go on medication. Do you know, I'm not anti-medication now, don't get me wrong, you yeah. know, I'm not a professional or like in that regard to make a diagnosis. But like, why is it that I'm going to children that are saying to me, I, and I, I'm, I'm not a teacher or I don't work in education, I'm a, a community support worker. Uh, Miss, where's our books today? Do you know if I come onto the site? Miss, where's my pictures? Or I have a little four-year-old lad. You run away with her. She's gorgeous, and every day she's at the end of the, the drive. Where's my homework? And I'd have her little homework in an envelope. She only prints stuff off, you know, from the learning thing and uh, off the computer. And I put two or three cranes into it. And then, and did you correct my homework from last week? And teachers are telling me this child don't want to learn. Yeah. Mm. That's a cop out, yeah. and I suppose it's very important as well. While I would be focused on traveller children, this has been done to children from hotels that are li- homeless yeah. children in hotels. Uh, this has been done to children from uh, that are living in direct provision, children with uh, disabilities, and also as well. Um, there's a, a, a big difference in the approach I find from the school in relation to a child that comes from a middle class background experiencing trauma to a child coming from a working class background experiencing trauma. It's trauma if it's a middle class child, but it's they're being bold if they're a working class child, you know, and that's wrong. And that's how children didn't get streamed and they will internalize that. And even I find, I don't know if you find this now with, um, if you ever heard of a Basil Bernstein, you know, the, the, the language codes, uh, in, in the education system. So you have the restricted codes and the elaborate codes. Mm. So like the elaborate, uh, codes would be the codes that the education system is designed for. So academic language, mm. you know, yeah. so when a middle class child would go in, they know this language, they understand it. But like with the traveler children, like they're so, um, little value on our language, mm. our working class children and how we speak, mm. do you know, like that somehow because it's not how we speak isn't a reflection on our uh, academic or our intellect. We speak how everyone around us speaks. Yeah. 
So the children now, like, and it's beautiful to hear them use it. Like, you know, they say the keen, you know, so keen is traveler word for house. Yeah. Do you know, or they say subal. Mm. Do you know, or they say watch the fiend or the viewer. But they're corrected then and that, like in school. Yeah. That's our language. Mm. And we should be able to uh, speak it and we shouldn't be made feel embarrassed yeah. about it. Do you know? Well, I, think a, I think a big problem as well, um, and you raised there, is the curriculum is designed by middle class people. And it's reflected. And, and it's like, outdated. But even for working class and traveller young people in school, we never learned, like, we never learned about traveller culture yeah. in school. We never learned about our own culture. Exactly. You'd never thought about the, like, most of the people in our areas would do trades. Yeah. Not in our own would trade. Never heard that the value that being valued in the mm. curriculum, you know. Mm. It might be different these days, especially in Dutch schools, you know. But um, back in the day, it wasn't like that. You'd learn about, um, Irish poetry and Shakespeare and all yeah. these fucking stupid things that you never want to learn. You never go. Not stupid. No, they're yeah. good. They're valuable. Don't well, get. James, they're actually they're <laughs> not good for certain people. Like no, people. like, well, like, like no, you know, what, we, I suppose uh, what you're trying to say, like, what value are they going to add to your life, really? Exactly. The, the education I mean? doesn't yeah. doesn't reflect yeah. where you're from. No, the, yeah. the, the no, clothes we wear, the music we listen to, the language we speak, yeah. the activities we partake yeah. in when we leave school, the stuff our mother is doing, the activities our father is doing. Yeah. That's not, we're not seeing any of that in yeah. the curriculum. No, and it's not know? celebrated yeah. in any level, really, when you think about it. Yeah. 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 Do you know, listen, I suppose what we don't want to do either is, is, is kind of start going on the road and saying too much about teachers, but... Oh, like the, no, but there's great teachers out there as well, Jimmy. Uh, oh, I, I, I see that. Do you know what? I, 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 yeah. The curriculum is, is given to the teachers by think the, the government. What my point is really is is I don't think teachers are actually informed enough about the difficulties some of the kids going to have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's actually getting worse. All yeah. the different... There's a lot more kids uh, with dyslexia. There's a lot more kids with different ADHD. forms of disabilities. ADHD is a massive thing. Days, but in know. this day and age, to me, it's there's no reason why teachers or anyone in mm. that kind of a profession, not just teachers, social care, any profession like that, where you're working directly, yeah, yeah, with the guards, where you're working directly with people, young people, adults, vulnerable people, whichever. There's no excuse in this day and age why people are not trauma informed. Exactly. There's exactly, loads of yeah. resources out there for people. Yeah. Yeah. You can either go off and day, like there's days trainings that you can do, or you could, there's loads of information on um, YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you know I what I mean? Prob- so, it would change everything. I think the problem there is yeah. it's not mandatory, and it's very much yeah. down to the ethos yeah. of the principal yeah. in the school. They have a yeah. lot of autonomy, and some schools are great. Exactly. And some, yeah. some schools aren't. There's a guy there, uh, Dave Cashman. He he runs an educate yeah. together primary school in mm. Southside in Cork. But sounds like the ideal school that will probably be a model for more yeah. progressive schools. But then in other schools, in more more middle class, and yeah. I don't want to be upsetting no middle class people because they all watch podcasts too. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do. But there can be a denial about the traumas yeah. in the school, like, oh, sure, we don't need, we don't need a youth club in our area, we don't need mm-hmm. a guard youth diversion plan, we don't need a community drugs worker, we don't need mental health talks in our school, yeah. you know, yeah. there's a denial about that, yeah. you know. So, and the fact is, yeah. well, like, um, like trauma is trauma, you know, like, I, and when you look at the adverse childhood experiences, I like, and sometimes now I don't like using the aces because I, I don't like to just look in on top of the family, you know, or the child and blame the child. You have to look at societal level and social policy and stuff like that. 
But like with the ACEs, like if, you know, it can be, if there was a mental health, uh, in, uh, uh, poor mental health in the family, if there was addiction, if there was imprisonment, if there was the death of a parent, um, if there was domestic violence, these things happen in middle class families as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, so trauma informed is to benefit all the, the yeah, children, everyone, do you know, yeah. like I'm. Um, but like that as well, I and I, I would stress that as there are some teachers now and honest God, they mm. will move mountains for the children. Yeah. A lot of know? teachers yeah. a lot of yeah. teachers yeah. watch yeah. this podcast as well. Yeah. You know, and we're going to get um the principal of Nakanhini Secondary School on yeah. um with a teacher, uh, Phil and Yvonne, so they'll be coming mm. on hope to get the man around September. Yeah. You know, so to give to yeah. make it balanced as well. Yeah. yeah. That's not a bad idea. That's actually a very, and very good Dan idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Dan. Yeah, we, we, I'm his biggest fan. I, yeah. I can't stop it. He's rich God. I'm like, where's Dan today? Yeah. He's always on the podcast. I'm sorry. Like, for Dan. No, he's great. But he is absolutely amazing. But they're meeting, his team is meeting the students where they're at. Yeah. And they're not trying to change the children. They're trying to support the children. And that's the difference. There's, you know? Because there's two, there's there's two different kinds of of of, of teaching a kid, yeah. and I'm saying this now from my own experience because I was somebody that could not sit in the classroom and listen. Never mind retain information, mm-hmm. no, because I lived my whole life caught up in in, in adrenaline and survival mode. But if there was, I loved going into the woodwork class. Yes, I loved when I wasn't messing art. My two biggest. Uh, like if the teacher gave us an exam in a class the two biggest results were woodwork and art mm. I I was brilliant at it and we should we should look at that at a really young age yes look at the kids which ones are going to really develop a little bit more in a practical world a practical environment where we have a school where kids will learn and you're not singling anybody out you're doing this for the kid because the child does not some of the kids just do not want to sit inside in a classroom yeah. trying to learn stuff that they cannot understand or retain because they're after missing two three weeks of the, the, the lead up to this classroom yeah. and i'm speaking from my own experience but if they go in and they're being taught how to make a little cross or a chair, something that's really going to help them develop when they leave school. I think we should start looking at that, them kind of schools a little bit more. And I'm sure they are out there, they are out there but there needs to be more. Yeah. There needs to be more, you know. Um, yeah. and, 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 and it's very important, sorry, James, so I'll finish this. Um, it's very important that the, ki- the parents of the kids as well get involved in, in, in yeah. this. That's key. You know, because they're the ones who have the the power and the authority to say, do you know what? I understand they need to be, it needs to be explained to them first mm-hmm. by the, the school and the teachers. Um, and they need to be able to give permission then for a child. Because what you're doing is you're saving, you're, you're taking a lot of pain away from a child mm-hmm. because they, when they don't fit into a certain environment and they don't feel comfortable, they're going mm-hmm. through a lot of stress. But yeah. if they go into that classroom and they're mindful, Right, completely mindful because yeah. some of the best times in my life I had carving because yeah. I was completely ingrained in the carving because it mm-hmm. was practical um, and I think more work needs to be done and, and, and getting kids that need the practical work yeah. and away from the academic yeah. you know yeah, so. you know, we had uh, Joe Slattery on here a few weeks ago oh he's brilliant fellow yeah. Limerick yeah. Um, yeah. he obviously he works for horses yeah. but imagine 
imagine having Joe as part of the school, you know, where, yeah. like, wouldn't that make traveller young fellas and young girls mm-hmm. feel like that this is where they, they yeah. you know, that this is there for them and their culture is yeah. valued and yeah. all, if yeah. all the kids can learn about horses and, you know, because it obvious, has obvious therapeutic value. Yeah. Like, do you yeah. know what? And I suppose I, I'm, I'm very mindful that I don't want to get on the road of bashing the government or representatives. Bash, yeah. I know, but I am. I'm very mindful of that. We don't want to turn into that either. But I remember when that's I was the other talk to Shack Podcasts. I remember when I returned to education as a mature student. I went back and I did um, apply psychology and social studies. And look, education is a powerful thing, as we all know. Yeah, do you know. But um, as part of that, the social studies, your, um, I was reading a book and it was around discrimination and racism. And um, I, I remember reading it and I was shocked at what, I suppose, what a Fianna Fáil, it was a Fianna Fáil counsellor, one of the comments that he had made about travellers, mm. you know, that the shotguns should be taken out to him. Have DC Fianna Fáil and have yeah, the shotguns at the ready, yeah. Get them out and get them out of the country mm-hmm. because they're not country fellow men, basically. Yeah, and I remember, people. yeah, I remember reading that. No, I was well aware of the racism and discrimination. Of course, I was. But when I seen it so on paper, black and white, in front of me, that this was coming from a politician yeah. that's supposed to be a representative for all of Ireland. Yeah, I was shocked. And as the years go on, I suppose, and, you know, I got more educated as I went along and got more experience along the roads. You can see why society is as it is and why travellers are boxed off and they're not getting what they need. And we're not getting, I should say, we're not getting what we need. Um, Because when it, like, it has to come from the top down. A hundred percent. It has to come from the top down. Yeah, yeah. You can see how it happens. Like, I suppose I always bring up, this is just for me personally, and I do take it very personal. Um, and like that, now, I'm not anti-government. Do you know, I, I, I was, yeah, I'm not anti-government anyway. I'm left, but I'm not anti-government. Like, I know Leo Varkar is a lovely man. I know Michal Martin, they're lovely men. They're, lo- they're lovely people. Their politics is shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know, that's the reality. Like, yeah. And Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael voters need to take ownership of that. And this is why now their children are going without housing. Yeah. But now because their children now can't get housed and are struggling or leaving the country, now the, the surge is coming and the urgency, which I'm delighted, but it's coming uh, very late. But if people want to know what's going to happen to their children, if people want to know what's going to, what are the outcomes for the children that we're rearing, like 4,000 children in this country in hotel rooms. Like we have thousands of children in direct provision. We have thousands of children in halting sites around, around the country. But if they want to know what Irish society is going to look like in 10 years time, in, tw- in 20 years time, take a good look at our community, the traveller community. Mm-hmm. When you take a person's identity from them, it comes down to Maslow's hierarchy mm-hmm. of needs. Yeah. When you take a person's right to a, a, a safe accommodation, all of that has an impact on mental health. And that's why we have anxiety and uh, poor mental health among our young people today. Mm. Like the suicide level uh, among travellers, 11% right. of traveller deaths are caused by suicide. Mm. You know, and that's been reflected now. That's mirroring now back into mainstream, uh, the general population. But even, one, like, even when it comes down to employment, 80% of employment yeah. employers won't accept travellers. Yeah. 90% of the general population won't accept a traveller into their family. Yeah. Like it's complete exclusion and discrimination and yeah. racism. I yeah. think something that you spoke about there as well, Gillian, was um, I was thinking about, you know, Gordon Allport, American psychologist, he has like a scale of prejudice where it begins with avoidance 
Um, and then it begins with antilocution. I think that's another fancy word for it. Mm. But it's about you're avoiding them, you're speaking negatively about them, but it gets progressively worse. And the last one is extermination. Now, mm. I'm not saying we're going to have extermination, but it has happened in other jurisdictions, mm, exactly. in Bosnia, mm. has happened in Germany, has happened in the chi- in China, yeah. and in other countries. Like, well, And when you have a Fianna Fáil councillor making statements like that, right, yeah. that I just mentioned. Yeah. Like, but that's how it started. It happened that's with how it starts. It starts with the mm. rhetoric, the, the talking, mm. you know. But them words have... aren't empty words because no. they lead to the violence and, yeah. and all that other stuff down the line. Yeah. What happens to somebody that makes a comment like that? Absolutely it? nothing when it's done to travellers. I'll travelers. tell you what happens. They get rewarded oh, by okay. Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. Yeah. We have, uh, There's no consequences from to me and that's no. the sickening thing about it. Okay. Look with Peter Casey. As soon as he went to the anti-traveller rhetoric... He can he like he, that man was very like could very well have got voted in like and he mm-hmm. played Trump a uh, Trump politics, but um you know I was just saying there what really upsets me is um like they say everyone is like oh get education get an education 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 isn't the key when you're a minority that experiences discrimination or racism. I went to a function, a mental health function set up by uh, Mags Casey in Tipperary. And uh, it was, it was about travelers with mental health. Every expert in the country was at this, this function. There was uh, doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, so, uh, uh, social workers, everything. So the majority at the, the event, uh, it was held in a hotel were non-traveler professionals. Um, I'd say if there was maybe about 20 of us as in travellers, you know, uh, at the event. Mm. I was there with Dr. Cindy Joyce, Dr. Bridget Crilligan, uh, Megs Casey graduated from university, Bridget Casey graduated from university, Breda Harty, myself. We got refused coffee after the event was over. Why? Why? Just because of where you are. You got refused a coffee. A coffee after paying for the, like TRTP had paid for the event and the manager in the hotel turned around and he said, I think I've done enough for ye people. That went to court. I hate that terminology, ye people. Yeah, that went, now that went to court, you know. I remember Bridgie came over and said it to me. I couldn't believe it. Like when she first said it to me, I thought she was joking. The audacity of it, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can completely relate to that because, because of, my own situations in the past like and I get really angry with people like that as well I know but you know what to me with respects to you it's yeah. very different when you're when yeah. you're coming from a yeah. minority oh, I, I understand it's 100% it's embedded it's embedded yeah. in Irish society yeah. and then with the consequence of that yeah. it's embedded in us and we constantly yeah. feel we're not good enough yeah. that there's something wrong well I'm telling the truth you know you are good enough. <laughs> yes, and I Thank know today you. I am, okay. but yeah. I'm just saying for others yeah. that, you know, like, and I can go there myself with not feeling yeah. good enough, but it's a different experience. Yeah. Not going to take from your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Can I take I understand the, 100%. Can I take it down a yeah. criminal justice slant? Yeah. Okay. Because we're up to an hour, but we'll go for a few yeah. minutes longer. But um, we're independent, so we can do what we want. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a case in Cork a few years ago, this traveller woman went into the gas station to get passport for a kid. The child was about three. Mm. The child was put into the pulse system. Yeah. And it was a whistleblower exposed it and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, travellers are way overrepresented in the pr- prison system, mm-hmm. you know. A small mm-hmm. portion of the overall population, 20% of the prison yeah. population. Can you talk to us a little bit about the challenges that traveller men and women face that mean that they most, not most, but a lot end up in prison? Overrepresented, Like, yeah. because... So, 
when I first went into prison, um, the first time I ever went into prison, on A3 where I went was all people from where I'm from, mm. you know, and I know they're not all bad people. Of course. And on yeah. B3 was all travellers and on B2 yeah. was all Africans and mm. the Polish. They're not all bad people, mm. but there's certain, you know, social policies yeah. and other things at yeah. play that divert us down yeah. into those roots. Um, I suppose, I'll just give you a quick example now. I won't go into it in detail because I know we're caught for time. But just to give an example, my brother, my baby brother, Patrick, very, very quiet child growing up. Absolute, like, you know, never a geek out of him. Just mm. very, very quiet child, very good child anyway, mm. whatever. He was going over. He was only 13 years of age. He was uh, calling over to his friend's house one evening. I said, my father said to him, you're not going to you. The dog walked and you have your homework done. His friend was after getting a new game for the PlayStation. Before we knew it, Patrick went out for the walk anyway. Before we knew it, two members of Angarda Sheikana had my brother Patrick dropped back to the house. Child now was on his own. Uh, they had broke a bone in his body, in his arm. Uh, they had uh, picked him up, brought him back to the house and said that uh, they got reports that he broke 20 windows in a vacant building site. We knew the child. This child was very quiet. You, you know your children. Yeah. You know your yeah. siblings. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I remember the guard was saying, I was like, what's wrong with this incident? I, I was looking at Patrick. Like, what? I was looking at the child saying, is there something happening here that yeah. we don't know about? Because if a guard tells you a thing, you believe a thing. Mm-hmm. Now, to keep in mind, both sides of my family are members of Angarda Shikana, so I'm not anti Angarda Shikana. The traveller side of my family and the settler side of my family, my mother's not a traveller at all. So both both sides of my family are in Angarda Shikana. What we went through with Angarda Shikana, the ombudsman came down. The ombudsman were absolutely amazing. They went above and beyond. They were gentlemen. They told us when they were taken the case, we didn't prosecute. It was the DPP prosecuted, not us. The guards received no call to the guard station. No, not, no window had been broken. Uh, no crime had been committed. They took him two, uh, two grown men for for a laugh. If you ask me, or throwing yeah. their their weight around town, two young new guards. They took him outside of the town into the countryside, down into a field. By the way, is that they took the child out there that they were pursuing a youth with an asbo, and they took our Patrick on a high-speed car chase. When that went to court, like, it was obviously the child, there was, there was no crime committed, like, they just picked him up. When that went to court, uh, this was, and I think back, like, of Terence Wheelock that died in custody. Mm. Um, this was the time, lads, of Morris McCabe when all this uh, stuff yeah. was happening. Uh, when, when that went to court, like, we were just, we weren't even entertained. That was just a, a tick box, yeah. a yeah. tick in the box exercise. Uh, that guard was absent on the day of ASP training, so he didn't know how to use the ASP. Yeah. And a 13 year old child that was doing nothing wrong, they picked him up. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about, like, I'm not going to turn around and say it was racial profiling or ethnic profiling. I'm not going to say that's what it was, but I'm more certain that it wouldn't have happened to the doctor's son. Do you know, and I will say that. Yeah. But anyway, that Definitely happened. Not. So, like, I'm, and like that now, lads, as well, who you, there are good guards out there. And there by is, God, you say you've a, a family member that's yeah. a guard that yeah, he's, he's a traveller as well. well. Yeah. I'd say that's very rare. Very, it is very rare, yeah. Do yeah. you have one on your mum's side as well? On my mother's side as well, yeah. Uh, my mother's brother and my cousin. So my, my mother's, my uncle and my cousin, yeah, yeah, so are I've guards. Never, I'd love to get him on the yeah. podcast. I've uh, never heard yeah. of a guard, but this is, Aww. as long as I'm alive, I've never so heard of a So on your mother's side, who's settled, and your dad's side, who's travelling, you have both guards yeah. on both yeah. sides. <laughs> 
Yeah, sorry, Tim. Uh, sorry, you're fine. I'm just here. I, I I never heard of it. It was like the first time I seen a Chinese guard walking down the park. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had to look twice as well. So yeah, yeah. You know, but it's great that our country is really coming around to just. But we need more. Integrate. We need more of it, like yeah. the, the, across yeah. all boards, education yeah. everywhere. But that, like, that yeah. type of that type of profiling is not going to help, like no, yeah. no, and that and that is there, like you know, and that happens now, like to children from working class areas. It depends on your address, lads, and it depends yeah. on your name, you know. And we, the truth be told, it depends definitely on the color of your skin, because like as mm. traveller. Do you know, I'm, I, like, I can hide my identity. Do you know, like, we, we speak about, like, um, Goffman with spied uh, identities and stigma and stuff like that. Mm. And there's a process where it's called passing. So let's say if you come from a working class area, you'll internalize that shame and that oppression mm. where if you, you might change your accent. Do you know, so that's mm. a form of passing. Do you know, mm. you might speak differently. You might try to hide your religion. Um, I might like try to hide my identity as a traveller, but that's all internalised. Like, and that mm. impacts on a person's mental health, yeah. and that be LGBT and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. But to get back to your question about the prison, I did research there. I worked with. I, I didn't do the research. Uh, Doctor Sinead O'Malley did the research. She's a social worker in Galway. I was actually on that uh, group yeah. myself, but I had to She's excuse myself from it because we had some stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. We were to bring the baby into a house. We were oh, to foster nice. the baby at the time. So our whole house was turned upside down for a period yeah, of time. Yeah. But I was initially involved in that project. Yeah, she's great, yeah, Sinead. She's, she's absolutely amazing. And in her, um, when I was working on that with her, what I noticed was, I, I'm not going to say the findings now because Sinead's just putting all that together. And yeah. uh, But what you could see was um, the... The traveller mothers, so it was traveller mothers and non-traveller mothers. The traveller mothers, the interventions from the state, like a child family agency in Tusla, were uh, very early and very, very heavy on the family. So the family was effectively being surveilled. The parenting was being mm. surveilled, you know, like... Mm. Um, um, Children being taken from a lot, a lot of the uh, traveller children being taken from their homes because social workers went into the wrong house. Mm. So they, they, they took those children as well, even though they were, they, they mm. acknowledged that they were in the wrong house, but it was because they were travellers. So they took them. So they would be in and out of care, foster care, going back home. So it was a huge disruption to their, their upbringing. Um, where then they would come out of foster care. Uh, so I suppose you're not supposed to exit foster care until about 18, but the traveller uh, children were exiting foster care like at 13, 14, 15, and nobody was coming looking for them. They were going into homeless hostels. They were trying to survive. Homeless hostels probably um, mixing up, you know, with uh, they, they wouldn't have been streetwise either. Mm. Getting involved in crime, maybe a bit of addiction, trying to survive, you know, because they had no one to guide them, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. And we know that's a cycle, that's a mm. revolving door. So it's uh, this, and and this is when the state's looking after the children. Yeah, this is when the social workers are looking after the children. But it's very easy for the social workers then to turn around and look at the mother and father and blame the mother and father. But it was the state that, like, one woman was taken, she was 13 weeks old, taken from her family by the state, taken, sent back, taken, sent yeah. back. Um, so it didn't it end up in, in imprisonment. So there's an awful lot of uh, hidden homelessness, mm. you know, and there's no stability. And so when the, children are taken from their family, like... 
The bond is broken. The bond, and the, like it caused so much upset. There was a case a few years ago of a Roma child. Remember the Roma child? Blonde. Was the blonde. The child they took blonde. the child from the house. He was blind. He didn't yeah. have to see it. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that happening in a middle class person's home? Oh, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen. happen. It, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Ha- it wouldn't happen at all. And the thing about it is, and I, I can't remember now if I said it because we were chatting earlier on as well. But do you know the way that I'm? Like if a child is stressed and a person is stressed, the cortisol is yeah. released. Like travellers die, uh, traveller men and women die 15 to 16 yeah. years earlier than the general population. But they're born into stressful environments. Yeah. They're in a constant state of fight, uh, fight, fight and flight. Yeah. So this cortisone is a, a stress hormone that's been released into the body. Um, that's building up then in the body. This is why travellers are dying from... Um, Heart disease. It's not, it's not just because of diet, it's because of stress. Because we know when scientifically and biologically, physiologically, if that stress hormone is continuously released into the, the, the body, it impacts the immune system. You know, it impacts the development of the brain. It impacts the gut. It imp- and bowel cancer was a huge thing as well. Because exactly. I remember when I worked as a traveller health worker in West Cork, we would have been delivering trainer around that stuff. Yeah. Bowel cancer was a huge thing as well within the travelling community, being yeah. diagnosed or undiagnosed yeah. and dying early. Yeah, you know? and um, asthma. There was a study in uh, America just released uh, recently, and it was the impact of racism on black women where the black women, the more frequently that they had, the more experiences of racism that they had, the more they were diagnosed with um, asthma. So you've that, you know, you you have um, the, the, the... the, the, the racism, the yeah. anti-traveller prejudice. And then on top of that, then you have living conditions yeah. where we still have, I'm working with families. Yeah. We're, we're in a pandemic. We're, we're 18 months in now. We're just kind of coming out of the pandemic, lads. I'm working with families that are going to the toilet in buckets. I know, it's shocking. Mm. And I've seen on Twitter there recently, and I think it was uh, Rosemary. Um, yeah, I was after flagging yeah. it as well, but um, there's after being... Because of the uproar, I suppose, in Dublin with the mess around the streets and the ORA, mm. like going to the toilet and all that jazz, they were after, the council were after providing these. Portaloos. Yeah. yeah. But yet we have travellers, traveller fam- families in yeah. desperate situations. The funding is there for them yeah. and they're not receiving it. That's it. Yeah. It's yeah. disgraceful. Yeah. But we'll fill the gems with Jesse and Dale. We'll be take off and leave these two with you. I know, yeah. Oh, but yeah. you're not two passionate women. Yeah, unbelievably. And you know, you made, you made a great point there about the, the African American women, black women, you know. Because um, was, I was looking at a seminar by Gabriel Mate on a different thing, and he was saying the telomeres, which is your DNA of African American women, are shorter than mm-hmm. those of Caucasian. Um, and they die 15 years, 10 to 15 years younger than the, the white women because of the stress yeah. related to racism mm-hmm. yeah. and the stress related to their kids, mm-hmm. black, young black men on the streets of America yeah. and the stress of knowing that your son could be killed or yeah. just shot yeah. by a police officer at any time over yeah. for just walking the street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, one of um, Gabamati, and I must mention Sharon Lambert too, because he, even though Sharon is, a, Sharon is a psychologist, she's always very vocal about the aces and the limitations of it, and like not taking into account social policy and structural yeah. forces at play, and I'm always blaming the individual and the family, so it's yes. important. Uh, and Gabamati always speaks around you know, um, structural issues and geopolitical mm-hmm. issues that impact 
impact upon people, yeah. physical health and the cortisol yeah. response and everything. Yeah. But we could go off roads, but yeah. we won't. Can I just mention one Can. thing? I because I just I was going on about um, education is um, do you know the last recession? I the traveller training and education budget was cut by over eighty three percent. So like with where we are now at the moment, twenty eight percent of travellers leave school by primary school. The boys. Only 13% of travellers finish uh, secondary school and only 1% of travellers go on to uh, third level education. So that's why like people say, oh, why don't travellers get jobs? How do they end up in prison? Mm. When these are your life situations and this is how you, uh, you, this is what you're up against. It's very hard. Um, it's very hard to progress in life uh, when you're faced with that. But when the traveller budget uh, educate uh, the traveller education budget was cut, that was done overnight. You mm. know there was no supports put in for our children, so our children now are being put on reduced timetables. They're not getting their supports uh, that they should be getting in school. But I'm working with Mags Casey and TRTP at the moment. And like I'm very excited about what she's after coming up with is uh, we have now a program for ten traveller women to go on to third level education. Brilliant. And these women are from within the community. They're going to become educational mentors, you know, so they're getting a mm. proper qualification to mentor the children. Yeah. Because our children, and I need to make this very safe, our children are not safe in school. Mm. And the thing is, we had the industrial schools, we had the Magdalene laundries and things like that. People did that, and those people are still here. You know, that's, you know, like those the, the people that do that are racist, are prejudiced and are bullies. And people like that do not just disappear. And while there are very good teachers, very good principals and things like that, we can't deny that that line of thinking is still inside in school. And when a child tells you they're not safe in school, they are not safe in school and we have to start listening to the children. Yeah. So that's why I'm glad for Mags that she does have this program coming up where it is showing the children that their parents are continuing in education, but also that we can educate the children in a safe environment until such time that it is safe for our children to stay in the schools again. Yeah, excellent. We'd love, to, we'd love to speak to Mags sometime Mags about is that. amazing, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, she was suggested to us as well by, uh, I think it was um, the probation officer that we had on. Uh, Martin Griffin. Yeah, and her son, Jack Griffin, works in TRTP as well. He's a social worker and he works within the, uh, he qualified as a social worker. I work with him now and he works in the prison as well. And I have to say, a gentleman yeah. and uh, very informed, very well educated. If he's anything like his mum anyway, he's from good style. Well, of course. Yeah. We have an uncle as well, Jory, that works in yeah. the prison. Yeah, another yeah. really yeah. nice guy. Yeah, He keeps me in line now and check as well. A lot. Your, They're going to kill us. I know. What's your dad's name? <laughs> My father's name is Paddy Quilligan. Yeah. Paddy. Yeah. Hi, Paddy. Hi, Paddy. Oh, we know you watched the podcast and the ball, and I uh, hope you enjoy. Just your daughter did really well, and you raised a great woman. Yeah. And oh, I just want to say as well, Paddy, thanks so much for the CDs for my daddy. I'm sure he'll be delighted <laughs> with them. Um, big Elvis fan. So thanks a million for that. You're a star. Oh, he'll be thrilled. Yeah. Are we sorted so? Yeah. Thanks for coming down to meet oh, us. Oh, lad, thanks a million yeah. for having me. It was me. great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. James knows all the Elvis songs from listening to <laughs> Hall. She plays Elvis all the time. I like Sean knows the girl. I know. I know. <laughs> I, we're the same now, Les. We're, I, we're on. Do you remember CMTV? Couldn't you? Yeah. We'll have to go. Yeah. We'll have to go. 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 We'll Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. And don't forget to head over to the Patreon if you'd like to help us. Thanks again.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 